The book of Psalm, chapter number 51, and I am interested uh, tonight in some things that David says in uh, Psalm 51. Uh, I want you to understand that there are a total of what we call seven penitential psalms. And these were psalms that David cried out to the Lord for. And this particular psalm is number four, so it is actually halfway. And some would say that uh, of, the, of the penitential psalms, that uh, the, it's almost like a peak. 51 is probably the zenith. He builds toward it and he builds away from it. Okay, and so it's almost like it's the top of the hill uh, when it comes to finding peace with God and, and calling sin by its name. The, uh, the things that we're going to look at tonight are some things that he said about his sin and how some words that he used for his sin. Now, I teach a class in, uh, I guess it falls under Bible study methods, I guess it is, in Bible college. And in that, it's, it's a, kind of a hermeneutics type, type class that I go through. And one of the things I do is I, I use, uh, use these, some of these thoughts to, to, to express. Now, let me say at, at the beginning that uh, we believe here at Anchor Baptist Church, we believe that God has preserved his word in the King James Bible that I hold in my hand. I believe this is the Bible. I don't believe it's just a translation. I believe it's the Bible. And I don't have to apologize or anything else. Now, I can get an English dictionary and look up the meaning of these words and get everything God wants me to have from this Bible right here. But that's not to say that you cannot tunnel down, that you cannot take a microscope and go down and expound the, the words of the original languages uh, to give fuller meaning and to, and to expound the ideas in the meanings uh, in uh, the Word of God. And so with that thought in mind, I want you to look what the Bible says in Psalm 51. The psalmist said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. And then he starts telling some things. He says, Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. So can I say it this way? He doesn't whitewash or candy coat the things that he has done and the things that he's committed. For those that may not know, David was a man after God's own heart. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. And yet David had a dark side. And the dark side of David was women. And that dark side caused him to take one of his honored soldiers, one of his mighty men, sent him off on assignment. David stayed home, saw his wife, lusted after, brought her into the palace. They conceived together. When he found out she was expecting, brought Uriah home, tried to fix it so that it looked like he had been with his wife to cover up his sin. 
Uriah had more character than that. He wouldn't even go home to his wife while his fellow soldiers slept in tents on the field. And so David put a letter of, uh, to, to uh, Joab in his hand and sent him back to the front line and told Joab to have him killed in the battle and make it look like an accident. And not only did Uriah die, but a number of other soldiers died. Because when word came to David, he said, they got up close to the wall and he said, men died. Thy servants have died. But then he said, right quick, for his anger got up, he said, and Uriah, thy servant, is also dead among them. And the king kind of went, well, you know, that's the... Uh, you know, that's, that's too bad. That's, the, that's, the, that's what happens when you sign up for the army. You know, I mean, you do take a chance. No, not at all. He had him deliberately murdered. And then he took his wife and tried to pass it off that everything was fine and like that nothing had ever happened. And so that's what brings us to this passage. Some believe that the timing of when Psalm 51 was written, some believe that it was somewhere around a year after that sin, possibly. You say, well, how would you say that? Well, the child was born, okay? The child was already here. It was a young child, the scripture says. And it took gravely ill and it died. And so a lot of people are thinking nine months, maybe the child was just two or three months old. We know it was a boy. Uh, I don't think the child is named in scripture. I don't believe that it is. And so... Uh, so we're thinking somewhere around that time. Now imagine with me that David has carried his sin and guilt for a year. And in that, he's not been right with God for a year. And he has not been able to get a prayer through. He's not been able to do anything. Because you know, that's funny. It, that's how sin works. So I said, well, I just did a little sin. Little sin, big sin, it seems to, you know, it seems to, it seems to have the same effect. Unconfessed sin seems to stop up the pipeline to God. When I was a kid in Salika, it's, all that's gone now. The highway goes right across our property. But there was two, a big deep valley that came out, and in the, in the, the mouth of that valley was a spring. And Grandpa had built a wooden box, probably out of locust, sawed locust and build a watering trough for the cattle and for the horse. But just back of that, he had took rocks and laid up where the spring was. And so there was a, that's where animals, they had, they had fresh spring water. And, it, and even in the coldest winter, that thing never froze because it was spring water. So we never had to worry about frozen water. Well, Red Harbin had a cabin, the little, the little tar paper shack just over from us on his property. And uh, Aunt Leela Owen lived there. Now, she wasn't my aunt, but she was my first cousin's aunt, so we called her Aunt, aunt Leeler. Aunt Leeler was uh, born right after the Civil War. She was born, her dad, when her dad come home from the Civil War, she was born right after that uh, because she was in her 90s in the 1960s. So that'll give you the idea of what I'm talking about. She was, her dad apparently was in the Civil War, so that... You know, I knew, I mean, I, yeah, of course I did. I knew, I knew people whose, whose parents worked, you know, who, who fought in the Civil War, whose dads fought in the Civil War. Well, uh, they, 
that house didn't have a, a well, apparently, at least it did, I don't remember it. And so they took an old green hose pipe. Now, they tell you if you'll drink out of a green hose pipe, it'll kill you. Uh, I guess that's what's wrong with all of us, is we drink out of them green hose pipes. And that's what made our hair turn gray, is the only thing I can figure. And uh, this old green hose pipe, and they'd run that hose pipe up the trail and, and got up there and went above the, the trough, and Grandpa piped it into the, to the main reservoir. And, of course, gravity would flow that water down through there. And it would come out there, cut an old big poplar there, and there's a poplar stump. And that water ran out there at that stump, and, and Aunt Lila would take a, an old ceramic-coated dishpan, old blue-speckled dishpan, and it had, would get holes in it, and it would rust through. You might remember that? You send town and get you some washers. You might remember those? And you take a washer, stick it through the hole, tighten it up, and make the pan quit leaking. She'd take that pan, set it on top of that stump, and run that water in it. So when she needed water, she'd just walk out there to the ditch line and, and get water out of that old pipe. But every now and then, uh, that thing would quit running. And uh, she had, either Grandpa had noticed it or she had, uh, we had a way of signaling. She had the only telephone in the valley. And so there wasn't another telephone, but she was, had an eye put out from hitting a nail, a head come off of a nail when she was younger, and put out one of her eyes, and so she was about blind, and she got a blind check every month. And so with that blind check, they put her in a telephone. And I remember it was a big old metal one, and it, was, it, wasn't, the, it wasn't the Mayberry type. It was a, it was a dial telephone. But it, she, they, she couldn't see the numbers, so they put a dial around that thing about that big around, all the way around it. Great big old thing. You put your finger in it and turn it, and it would da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And she had a private line. Now, that was something very unusual because everybody else had party lines. And you had to leave the phone on the hook, and the phone would ring a certain sequence of, num of rings, and that's how you knew it was your phone. But the phone rang all the time because everybody in the valley was on the same line you were on. People think I'm crazy when I tell that. That's, that's how it was. Mom would be working graveyard. She couldn't lay the phone off the hook because she did. Everybody on the party line was down. So she had to pack it in pillows and stuff so it wouldn't ring so loud so that she could, you know, so she could try to sleep. Well, when there was a phone call, somebody would call us. Uh, Aunt Leader had a red towel, and she'd go out on the front porch and hang that red towel up. And you'd look over through the valley and you'd see the red towel, you know something was wrong. So I don't know, we thought, or if Grandpa thought it was a, a phone call or what, but when the, when the water would stop, she was old, so Grandpa would go over, of course he wasn't young, and he would try to fix her water. Well, uh, Grandpa was, was getting on up in age, and so one day he, he said to, to me and my cousin, he said, uh, uh, Miss Owens' water has uh, stopped, and said, uh, I need you boys to go fix it. And so we went up there, and uh, uh, we got that pipe, and we thought about, now what are we going to do? And well, we thought about blowing in it. That didn't work. And well, we thought about two or three things. So I got that pipe, and I got that hose, and so uh, I didn't want to get in there in the spring. I was scared of snakes. I'd get it in there where the spring, where it started. I was scared of that. And so I'd take that pipe, and I'd flop that thing on the ground. I'd pick it up and flop it like a whip. I'd pop that thing. About three or four good whoppings, and out run a big old spring lizard. He had went down that pipe, but he had stopped the flow, 
And he is in there, a great big old spring up. We, we'd fish for them things. They say now they're endangered species. Well, we've endangered a bunch of them is all I can tell you. We're talking about how, how endangered water dogs are. Y'all know what a water dog is? Let me tell you why in water dogs are endangered. We killed everyone we caught because we, we were told they ate fish, and so we would kill every water dog we'd throw out on the bank, kill every water dog there was. So we help endanger them things, and we help endanger them spring lizards. Lots and lots of spring lizards got endangered on the end of our hooks. We'd fish for them things. But once I flopped that thing a good time or two, and once we got that old spring lizard out of that thing, the water began to run again. Well, can I tell you, that's exactly what's happened. There's been an a, a, a interruption in the flow in David's life for probably close to a year. And God had old long-fingered Nathan, the prophet, to come in and beat the water line on the ground a time or two and get uh, to the root of the problem. And when that took place, uh, slowly but surely, the water began to flow once again. I want you to see what David said, and I want to look at some things that David said about his sin. Today, uh, pornography is called adult, adult entertainment. Uh, adultery is called extramarital affairs. Is that right? Uh, intoxication is called partying and called having a good time on the weekend. And we keep going. So we've given new names to old sins to try to, you know, and uh, we've, yeah, and, we, we, and we, could, we could say the same thing about fornication and so many other things. And of course, the, the wicked sin of homosexuality, we call it gay. And gay used to mean happy. And now gay's been stricken from our vocabulary, except in Christmas songs. But I want you to understand David calls a spade a spade, and he tells it like he is, like it is. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 51 in verse number 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Transgressions. Look in verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Look in verse number 13. Then while I teach transgressors thy way. I want you to understand that David is guilty of adultery and David is guilty of assassination. And David uh, very blatantly broke the very highest of the laws of God. And as a result of that, there, there's no excuse for it. As a matter of fact, there was no offering for it. There was no offering to cover this. You see, the penalty for what he did was death. And David, when he, when he put a label on what he had done, he chose to call it the very thing that God called it. He chose to call it a transgression. And a transgression is rebellion. And can I tell you that rebellion, according to what Samuel told Saul... He said, rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. What happened to a witch? They were to be stoned. 
And he said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. We think, oh, this strong attitude or just strong character. Listen to me. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I'm thinking about what was said in Isaiah 43. God said, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. And I will not remember thy sins, he said, for mine own sake. In other words, God says, I do it. I blot them out because there's nothing you can do that will blot them out. They're not enough burnt offerings. They're not enough burnt sacrifices. There's not one thing you could do to pay back for what you just did. And I choose to blot them out. And so a lot of people don't understand that we think that God forgives us because we're such good people. No, God forgives us to keep from dropping us right into hell with our boots on. That's why he forgives us. Because if he didn't forgive us, he'd have to kill us and make us pay for our sin. A lot of people don't like to talk about that. But I want you to understand that our rebellion is uh, to God. Uh, the scripture says that, 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 that he would blot out uh, my transgression, blot out his transgression. So imagine this, if you will. David saw his sin as if someone had a diary. And that God is keeping account and God's writing down the details, all the details, the details of that adulterous night, the details of trying to trick Uriah, the details of getting him drunk, the details of the letter that was written to, to have him killed, and the horrible way that he died. And then the cover-up thereafter. It's conspiracy. All part of rebellion. And it's as if David can see all of those things written in a diary. And he says to God, by the way, an eraser is something that's fairly new and common. Because there was really no way to erase ink. So why did you, how did you erase what was written in ink? What did you do, you do with that? How did you deal with that? The only thing you could do was to blot it out. You would take that, or whatever it was it was written in, and you would put something over top of it that was, that was indelible, something that was on top of it that you could not see through. That's the only way. You had to blot it out. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't erase it. It's there. It's the, the, and, and you knew. If you saw a document that had something blotted out, you knew there had been something there. You just didn't know what it said. It always leaves a mark. Well, can I say... Uh, that our sins written in ink can only be blotted out by blood. And that blood on our record blots out our sins and those things that are pinned against us. Because he says this, he says, uh, he says Lord, he said, uh, tender mercies blot out my transgressions. It had been written and whatever had been written had forever was written. But only God could blot out the damning record of what had taken place. And so David saw his sin of rebellion, unlawfulness, his, his unlawfulness and his rebellion, he saw it as if it had been written, seems like, in a diary. And so he says something about his unlawful rebellion. 
But then he also says something about his unclean iniquity. Look what the Bible says. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity. Look in verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. Look in verse number 9. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Iniquities. The word iniquity, it means to be bent or it means to be crooked. And it describes the wrongness, the bentness, and the fallen human nature. And so, if I can say it this way, it stands for our natural perverseness. And there's a whole lot of people that will tell you they don't believe that we are perverse. I had a woman from, I guess, up north. We were preaching on the street in Brevard. And she stopped and was making fun of me to her children. And then she confronted me and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to tell sinners that they're going to hell. And she said, there ain't no sinners around here. Go down on the other side of the tracks and, and preach to sinners down yonder. There ain't no sinners downtown Brevard. She just ain't been to downtown Brevard is all I can tell you. If you want to go up on a Saturday night late and watch the sinners come out or crawl out of the bars, you'll find out how many sinners there are in downtown Brevard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll, you'll find out how many sinners there are in downtown Brevard. And so, but I want you to understand that if David had sinned and immediately got right with God, but he didn't, he carried that thing for almost a year. What would cause a man to do that? Because he, was, he had stubborn hypocrisy. He went about doing the kingly things, and he probably went about going to the temple and doing all the things he had been doing, just like he had been doing it. And he put on this arrogant pretense that nothing was wrong. Ain't nothing wrong. Everything's fine. But it took Nathan the prophet to bring him to the understanding that he was wrong. Psalm 32, another one of the penitential Psalms. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom, unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. So transgression, which said means rebellion, We'll introduce the word he uses for sin here in a moment. It means to miss the mark. And then iniquity, it carries with it a bent nature. It has the idea of perversion. As a matter of fact, I can prove it to you. Genesis 15, God had given the promised land to Abraham. Uh, the title deeds were his, but he was not to he was not allowed to possess it. And this is what God said about it. God said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. What do you mean? They hadn't done enough to get them kicked out yet. So God is going to send the, the children of Israel and the family of Abraham, the family of Jacob. He's going to send them down to Israel, incubate them into from a family of 70 to probably several million He's going to let, while that's taking place, he's going to let the, 
the iniquity of the Amorites get really ripe and stink really bad. You see, they were doing all sorts of perverse things. And he was going to let their iniquity get full so that there was no question and no, there's no hesitation when God drove them out of the land, there would be no hesitation about it. Because they were so wicked and so filthy that that's the case. I think about something else, and so we're talking about a bentness, a perversion. It's used again, that word iniquity, in Genesis 19. There outside the city, the morning arose, and the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. So the further we go with this, the more perverseness we see in the definition. And so the perverseness or the bentness, if you will, of Sodom called for the, the vengeance of hell out of heaven. And God rained hellfire down upon that homosexual society. And as a result of that gives us a picture of what iniquity really is. And I could, I could give you more illustrations. It's used by the high priest. The high priest was to lay both of his hands on the head of a live goat. That's the only time he ever did both of them, but he take both of them, confess over him all the iniquities and transgressions and all their sins, putting him on the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. There's the word, that perverseness, that bentness. Let me see if I can say it this way. You know, there are, there, there's dirt and then there's dirt, right? So if you get something on your suit coat, you can lose, use a lint brush. And then if you can't get it off with a lint brush, then you take something with a little, little dab on it and dab it a little bit. See if you, and then if all that fails, you can take it to the dry cleaners. See if they can get it out. But I can tell you this, there are some things the dry cleaners can't get out. I don't outgrow clothes anymore. I wear them out. I, I stain my clothes. I tear my clothes. I wear my clothes out. I, I, never, I, ne I, never, I never outgrow them. I, I've stopped that, but I wear them out by, by, by ruining them. I disqualify them. You wouldn't believe all the work clothes I've got. And my work clothes consist of everything ain't fit to wear out in public. Everything I've got stains on. I've got the office pile of work clothes you've ever seen. I look in the closet, I ain't got much to wear to church, but I got a bunch of, I got a bunch of white shirts I can change oil in. Hallelujah. I mean, I, you know, I'm good to go, right? I got three-piece suits. That's my, that's my tractor suit, you know. I can go to plowing that one. Go feeding that yeah, double-breasted. I go feeding that double-breasted suit because it's all, all messed up. They're no good for nothing anymore. Well, imagine the idea of a garment but not just a garment that got a spot on it, not just a garment that's got something you can just wipe off. Think about Joseph's garment. Think about his coat. That coat of many colors those boys hated so bad. They took it back to dad and said, we, we can't tell, is this your son's? And they had killed an animal and put it blood on it. No doubt they had torn it. I can see them as they took turns, throwing it back and forth, and they'd take their foot and they'd grind the dirt in it. 
and grind that blood into it. Let it all dry. There was no chance of that thing ever looking like it did when it was new. You couldn't get that out. That was indelibly marked. And the idea behind this word or this word picture has, to, has the idea of trampling with the feet. Can I say it this way? The dirt in David's life was so ingrained that no simple soaking or no simple uh, rinsing was going to make a difference. No simple, am I back up? Okay. So no simple soaking or no simple rinsing was going to make a difference. And so uh, David saw himself, if, he, if I will, as, as dirty. Uh, the word iniquity. But not only the unlawfulness of his rebellion and the uncleanness of his iniquity, but also the unholiness of his sin. I want you to see what the Bible says in verse number two. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse three, for I acknowledge my transgression and my affair. That's not what he called it, did he? He called it sin as ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I made poor decisions. Have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? Verse five, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin my mother did conceive me. Verse number nine, hide my face from my sins. And verse number 13, then will I teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted. He does not shy away of using uh, a, the word sin multiple times here in the passage. And the word sin carries with it just as uh, the word, uh, re- uh, the word uh, that transgression uh, has with it the idea of rebellion and awfulness. Uh, the word iniquity carries with it the idea of dirty or unclean. I want you to understand that the word uh, sin carries with it the idea of unholiness. Unholiness. And it means, the, the literal idea behind the word means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. When we do competition up at the wilds with archery with the boys for years, I was, in, I was the archery judge. Don't know how, I think because my son was in it. I guess that's how I got roped into it. But uh, years ago, and I, they still put me down for it sometimes. But if a child doesn't hit the target, a student doesn't hit the target at any, at any interval, if with all of his arrows, they, they, they do 20, I think it's 20, 30, 40, and 50 maybe. I'm not, I think that's what they do today. But when you progress and the target gets further and further away from you, at any point that you don't hit the target, you're done. If you can't hit it at 30, there's no need to go to 40. You're dangerous, all right? And so if you didn't hit it at 20, you're not going to get to go try at 30. You've missed the mark. You're done. So your score is, if you got one, that's, you know, if you can't hit it, then you're, you're not going any further. You either hit the target or you miss the target, you see. There are no participation trophies when it comes to sin. You either hit it or you miss it. You either are holy or you are unholy in God's sight. The idea behind, uh, I think it was the Benjamites, 
Bible says that they could sling stones at a hair breadth and not miss. The word miss there is the very same word for sin. That they could hit without missing a hair's breadth. That's pretty tight, isn't it? When in Genesis chapter 4, one of the first times it's used, the Lord says to Cain, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. This is the word. This is what he was talking about. Over and over and over in the book of Kings, particularly of the northern kingdoms, the phrase is made and said, who made Israel to sin? Who made Israel to sin? Who made Israel to sin? They missed the mark, missed the mark, missed the mark. And God's holy people at the leadership of these wicked kings become unholy people. Over and over again, he made Israel miss the mark. Think of it this way. And think of this idea. When, when David was talking about this, and David was, was talking, he, he says this, he says, wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I can see David with the idea, I think about a leper. And I think about how loathsome a disease leprosy was. And the only way that a leper could ever be restored is that they had to be cleansed. Their leprosy had to be gone, and they had to be ceremonially cleansed before they were allowed to be back around anybody. And I thought it very interesting. Naaman was cleansed in the Old Testament. But all that, all, everything that was put into the Old Testament law of how to cleanse a leper, the priests never had to use that. They were taught it. I'm pretty satisfied that when those 10 lepers went to the temple, they had to probably go back and look in the, look in the textbooks and say, now how do we do that again? Now, how, well, I ain't never done one of these. They go get the oldest priest and said, come here, we got some lepers to cleanse. Come here and show us how it's done. He said, well, I ain't, I ain't never done it. Well, your grandpa surely taught you how to do it. He said, no, grandpa said he ain't never done it. We ain't never had no lepers cleansed in our life. Ain't been no cleansed from leper. Leprosy is fatal. Well, there's a provision to cleansing it. Hallelujah. Because the Lord Jesus was going to come and cleanse some lepers. And that was going to be a sign to unbelieving Israel. Well, understand what I'm trying to go with this, to miss the mark. David looked at himself and he saw himself diseased, if I can say it that way. With a ceremonially unclean situation and he says, Lord, cleanse me. Lord, cleanse me. And just a footnote. I, I'm not dogmatic about this, but because some of the things that David says in the Psalms, there are scholars who believe that David and his cohorting picked up a venereal disease and that he wrote about it in later times. And certainly that would give some further enlightenment to the verse one author said, well, he thought that David had leprosy. I don't see nothing about that. See anything about that? Nothing anywhere to even come close to that. But I do believe when he talked about this, he saw himself as a leper before God. And that's, my friend, what we have to come to. That's where we have to be. And we have to see uh, our, 
uh, ourselves in that way, or the unholiness of our sin. And then uh, he says this in verse number four, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And so just as we have seen the unholiness of his sin, but also the uncleanness of his evil. The word uncleanness carries with it the idea of corruption. It carries with it the idea of lewdness. It carries with it the idea of depravity. We are familiar with the Greek word that's transliterated over into English where we get our word pornography from. The word that's used here for evil is the companion word in Hebrew where we get our word pornography from. So I want you to understand we're not talking about a small thing. David saw himself as depraved. David saw himself as diseased. David saw himself as dirty. David saw himself uh, looking in the pages of a diary with everything that had happened uh, being, uh, being, 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 being written down with great precision and great detail. But I want you to look in verse number 14, and I'm finished tonight. In verse 14, the Bible says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Blood guiltiness, it's pretty obvious. Bloodshed, slaughter, murder. By the way, the only thing you or I had ever done to David was be faithful to him. The only thing. And for David to look and say, who is this woman? Yeah, right. Like he didn't know where she was. Yeah. He should know who she was. I'm sure it was at the wedding. As a matter of fact, I'm sure she'd been to the palace many times because her grandpa was a Hittifel. He's David's wisest counselor. I'm sure she'd been to the palace many times playing around the feet of Ahithophel. David was probably at the wedding when, when Uriah and Bathsheba married. I had a map up the other day of Nehemiah's wall, and if you looked at it, the fortress of the mighty men was near the palace. Now, I don't know exactly where Uriah lived at, but I read somewhere where that the mighty men surrounded the palace. They, they, their, their personal houses were in a full circle all the way around the king's house. So that if, like secret service, that if trouble ever broke out, they were there as the final line of defense to protect the king at all costs. I read that. I don't know if it's so or not, but I've read it. I want you to understand what I'm trying to say. That Uriah had done nothing but marry a beautiful wife. And I'm going to interject this just because I can. Uriah was a Hittite. Now he was apparently a Jewish convert, but he's still a Hittite. I don't know what that had to do with it. Because God sure didn't hold it against Uriah. As a matter of fact, Uriah got an honorable mention in the lineage of Christ in Matthew chapter 1. And interestingly enough, Bathsheba's name's not mentioned. She's referred to, but she's referred to as the husband 
or as the wife of Uriah. Yeah. Uriah didn't have any children, so God gave him an honorable mention in the lineage of the Son of God upon earth. David uses these words. He says in verse number 7, Purge me with hyssop. By the way, hyssop was used in cleansing, ceremonial cleansing. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Look in verse number 12. He, well, let me, let me go back in verse number 11. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Look back up in verse number 10. Renew a right spirit within me. Look in verse number 12. Renew unto me. He didn't say my salvation, but he said the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. David saw his sins as being logged in a diary. And he wrote about the unlawfulness of his rebellion. David saw his sin as being dirty, like a dirty garment. And he wrote about the uncleanness of his iniquity. David saw uh, what he had done as being a loathsome disease. And he wrote about the unholiness of his sin. David saw his sin as being depraved and he wrote about the uncleanness of his evil. And David saw his sin as being unprovoked and he wrote about himself being distant. You remember Simon Peter? He said, Lord, I'll go with you all the way, even to death. But when push come to shove, Simon run off. And while it is true, he did go to the palace with Caiaphas. He did go. But he wasn't on the inside. He was on the outside looking in. And he was warming himself by the enemy's fire. In other words, Simon Peter that night, the night of the betrayal, walked at a guilty distance. He could see the Lord and the Lord could see him. But he was far enough away that nobody would know that he was with him. Even though his speech betrayed him till he pitched a little cussing fit then they left him alone. Understand what I'm going to say to you. David saw himself as being distant. And he saw his sin as coming between him and God. And he didn't paint any kind of pretty picture about it. But I will say this. David knew something about New Testament grace. Say, so how do you know? Look what he says in verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou dost lightest not in burnt offering. He got that right. You'd think David had been reading the book of Hebrews, wouldn't you? So he had a glimpse of some things that few people in his day had. But what's sad is he had to get to the place where there remained no more sacrifice. He had to get to the place that there was no putting on. He had to come to the place that, hey, he knew if he hadn't been the king, you know what the penalty would have been? Death. 
But since he was the Supreme Court judge, who was going to issue the verdict? Who was going to issue the sentence? He was the one. He was the one that had the power of the sword. He's the one that said he lives and he dies. And he certainly wasn't going to put his head on the chopping block and say, here, cut my head off. But he did do it before God. And, and again, I pick up on, I believe he, looks like David had read the book of Romans. He said in verse 17 of Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. This my old preacher. He's just so broken in his spirit. Good. Good. That's a wonderful thing. People think it's terrible when you get spirit broke. No, we all need our spirit broke, right? Regular. Sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And then he says this. A broken and a contrite heart. I believe I can insert a broken spirit, a broken heart, and a contrite heart. What kind of sin breaks your heart, preacher? Sin that you realize that breaks God's heart. When you realize what sin really is and what sin really looks like in the eyes of God, and you realize that it's not just an affair, it's not just a transgression, it's not just a little uh, something, you know, well, just a poor choice. Oh, no, it's much worse than that. He said, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. And then he goes on to, to say, do, thy, do good in thy good pleasure and design, build thou the walls of Jerusalem, then shall thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. I just want you to understand that there's some things that had to be gotten right before we could go on any further. I asked one of the preachers that preached in the camp meeting, I guess it was this past year, maybe it was the year before, I asked him, he was here on the property, and I made the statement. I said, well, I'll ask you a question. We, he, had, he preached about David the night before, and it was on Friday he came over. And so I said, well, I want to ask you a question. I, I asked a lot of people this question, but I, I, I want your opinion. I said, what caused David to be a man after God's own heart? You know, I chased that all summer. What caused David to be a man after God's own heart? And this is what he said. He said, I think it was because he was a really good repenter. I don't know that I've ever heard the word repenter used in a sentence. And whether or not it's good English, it's good theology. He was a really good repenter. And that's why God said after David's sin that he was a man after God's own heart. As we prepare for Sherathon, as we prepare for the days before us, we prepare for the evil days that we know are coming. May God help us to be good repenters. And may God help us to come clean with holy God in these days. Let's pray.